I look out this morning and I imagine that whether we would like to admit it or not, many of us are weary. Work has made us weary. The news has made us weary. Family makes us weary. Our calendar has made us weary. Life itself has made us weary. If you're weary this morning, say amen. That was a weary amen. (laughs) Normally preachers are supposed to end the sermon with good news, but today we're going to begin with some good news too. Take a moment and imagine those things that are making you most weary this morning. Is it work? Is it a relationship? Is it a choice that you know you have to make? Is it all of the above? Allow yourself just for a moment to feel that pressure. And now I want you to hear some good news this morning as I read our scripture again. Jesus says this to you and me. Come to me. All you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear the good news this morning? Relax your shoulders a little bit, church. Let me see you. Let me, I was a kid's pastor for three years. I want to see some participation. Relax your shoulders. There we go. I see there's some dads. They're like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Relax your shoulders. Breathe in and out. Take rest in the Lord. Jesus says these words in part because he had seen how the religion of the Jewish people had been contorted into this burdensome obligation designed to serve neither the interests of God nor the people, but rather the interests of positions of power. It's interesting to me how relaxing his words sound to us today and yet how radical they would have sounded in the first century. In this way, Jesus is calling the people of Israel and the larger world not to cast away religion entirely, but rather to return to the faith as it was intended. Jesus uses the image of rest because in the scene that follows, it will be a question of what it means to rest that brings him and his disciples into conflict with Pharisees on the Sabbath. In the book of Genesis, we're introduced to the Sabbath as simply a time for rest and reflection, to survey God's majesty and goodness and simply be in it for a moment. But then as we continue to read in the Old Testament, we find Sabbath is quickly complicated into a day with processes and procedures to ensure Israelites abide by temple-approved rest practices. By the time Jesus arrives in the first century, Sabbath had evolved into a day that no longer resembled what God had first intended, and it becomes the subject of some of Jesus' most heated conflicts with religious leaders. Let's read one of those scenes now in the verses that follow our scripture reading this morning. This picks up in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath 
His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Hmm. That was my addition right there. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The story's not done, but we'll stop here for now. The scene of Jesus with his disciples shows me something about the Sabbath that I think we forget all too often. Jesus' disciples are hungry, and so they, took, they take food from a grain field so that they can eat. And some Pharisees get upset because technically the disciples are harvesting the grain, which breaks the temple's mandate of no work on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response to this charge is simple. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I wonder if we've forgotten that Sabbath is meant to be merciful. That God's protecting a day for rest is truly a merciful act for people living in a world that demands hard work from us constantly. I think about our Sunday mornings here at Lover's Lane, this experience of worship that we have across our campus. Depending on where you worship on our campus each Sunday, you could be worshiping next to very different people, amen? And the way we arrive can look very different. Three-piece suits, blue jeans and t-shirts, traditional African headdresses, shorts and flip-flops. Sometimes our kids have no shoes on at all. It's a visual reminder of something that I believe is ingrained in who we are as a community of faith. Just like the words say over the doorway you entered through this morning, you are welcome. I love that we have a church where people don't feel like they have to look the right way or pretend to be someone that they're not. I think it is truly a merciful act for a church to say, you, yes, you, and you, and you, and you are welcome here, exactly as you are. The Sabbath is intended to be merciful in more than just our clothing choices, though. I think most of us get to our Sabbath day or our Sabbath time each week, and just like the disciples, we're hungry. The Christian faith, of course, is marked by a distinct call to self-sacrifice, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that even Jesus needed moments of prayer and escape during his ministry to ensure that he was fueled by God's spirit and that his soul was well fed to accomplish all that God had called him to. So my first question for us this morning is this, are you allowing God's mercy to find you through Sabbath? Are you allowing God's mercy to find you through Sabbath? This might be a hard question for us to ask in a high expectations, high motor, success-driven culture like Dallas. 
But I think that makes this question even more important. How are you allowing yourself to come to a stopping point so that God can remind you whose you are and how much you are loved? Maybe that merciful word comes straight from God into your soul. Maybe it comes from the kind words of a friend. Maybe it comes from the loving actions of a spouse. Maybe it simply comes from a much-needed afternoon nap. Amen? Are am I the only one napping this afternoon? I feel bad for y'all. But I know some of us in this room need to be reminded that it is okay to be loved and served and cared for, even if only for a moment. It doesn't make us weak. It makes us children of God. Sabbath is not simply about self-care, though, as important as that is. Once Jesus and his disciples are fed, we see their ministry resume, picking up in verse 9. It says, he left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Suppose one of you has only one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. In the grain field, Jesus teaches that Sabbath should be merciful to us. And here in the synagogue, Jesus teaches that Sabbath should be merciful to others as well. Sometimes I think we go through our lives at such a quick pace that it can be hard to notice the needs that are all around us right under our noses. The man with the withered hand is a tragic character to me. Because along the way in his life, he'd become convinced to follow a burdensome, self-harming religion. He's in need of healing, and yet he helps the Pharisees in their trap for Jesus. My heart breaks knowing that he likely had been taught that his suffering was self-inflicted or somehow earned through his own misdeeds. My heart breaks today knowing that there are so many who claim the Christian faith, but because they've been given a burdensome faith and a heavy yoke, they think that Sabbath and suffering go hand in hand. There are people in your life and in my life who are convinced that healing is out of reach and maybe even that God wants them in pain or misery. And many times these same people suffer in silence. And in the midst of our busy lives, we can simply walk by and barely ask, hey, how you doing, if we notice them at all. Maybe one reason God calls us to rest and to Sabbath is so that as our lives slow down and calm and quiet take hold, we can look and we can listen for those persons quietly suffering content to let everyone else's needs be met. Maybe one reason we rest is so that those needs for once in their lives gain our attention. I don't have to tell you that it's hard to keep up with all the need in our world, do I? 
Literally, every day, there seems to be a new crisis that we must rise to address. And yet, I wonder if we took time in our Sabbath to notice and address some of the smaller needs that are right around us, would our world not be better for it? In fact, could it be that the path towards equality and peace and life abundant around the world is not paved with grandiose moments, but with simple ones? Simple mercies extended to our quietly suffering neighbors who do not expect it. I want to close today with a personal reflection on Sabbath and what it has meant for my life, especially in the context of burning out. When I first was given the opportunity to preach regularly, I took it very seriously. And I still do stand, for the record. I would spend hours and hours writing the perfect sermon with the perfect stories and the perfect words. The only problem was that I found out that each week I needed something new. That stinks. And each week I needed the sermon to be even better than the one before. It got to the point where I began sacrificing most, if not all, of my weekends to sermon preparation, obsessing over manuscripts that were sure to inspire all persons everywhere to come to know Jesus. I would go to bed and wake up stressed that my message wasn't quite good enough week after week after week. Y'all may not write sermons, but does this sound familiar to you? Am I the only one that toils in vain? So then Andy was born. Andy's my 16-month-old daughter. And for the first few months of her life, I tried to keep up the same routine. Fridays and Saturdays with headphones in or hidden away in our bedroom, furiously typing and retyping until every point of punctuation was perfect. Finally, in what has become the most merciful conversation of my adult life, my wife Reagan sat me down and said something that was hard to hear but changed my life for the best. She said, this has to stop. She was burnt out, and I was burnt out, and my daughter was missing quality time with her dada. So I made a change, and with the loving help of Reagan, I began to hold myself accountable to keeping a Sabbath and living fully in those moments with my family. I had to remind myself time and time again that no one has ever come to know Christ because of alliteration. My writers in the room find that funny. There's like three of you. That's good. Maybe most importantly of all, I became incredibly reliant on the Holy Spirit in my ability to preach because my words wouldn't be as gooder anymore and maybe God could speak through them all the more. I still take my preaching seriously. I just also take my family and myself and my God seriously now too. And when we rediscover Sabbath, we will be more merciful with ourselves, we'll be more aware of the needs around us, and we'll be closer to the heart of Christ. One of my favorite quotes on the subject of Sabbath comes from the 20th century rabbi and civil rights activist Abraham Heschel, who says this, the Sabbath is the most precious present mankind has received from the treasure house of God. All week, he says, we think the spirit is too far away and we succumb to spiritual absenteeism or at best we pray, send us a little of thy spirit. 
He says, on the Sabbath, the Spirit stands and pleads, accept all excellence from me. Do you hear your God this morning on this Father's Day? Accept all excellence from me, he says. Accept all mercy from me. Accept all love and hope from me. Accept my easy yoke. Accept the gift of rest and the gift of Sabbath. Amen.